Well, first of all, I'd like to say uh, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here. Uh, I think we have some good examples in our congregation of fathers. And so, uh, you know, the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, and that thy days shall be long on the earth. Uh, so, you know, if you have a good father, uh, be thankful for him. And uh, if you are uh, not the, the best father, and I think most of us kind of look at ourselves and say, we could do better. No, then make those changes and try to be better as a father uh, because that is a great and awesome responsibility that God has given to any man who produces children. We've been talking about the church and sometimes things that we say uh, may offend someone. Even the picture that's on the screen, you may be saying, how could he put those kind of names up there on the screen and talk about people? Well, sometimes uh, the truth offends. Now, my goal is not to offend people. But sometimes when we speak the truth from God's Word and we show what the Bible says, people are offended and leave. They don't want to hear that. They don't like what they hear. But the truth of the matter is, it's important that we study God's Word and that we come to an understanding of what it means to be a child of His. We have looked in the past, uh, as we've been looking at the church, we have looked in the past at Old Testament prophecies concerning the church. And we know that it was to come about, and, and, and Daniel gives us a, a more precise time frame when he says, in the days of these kings uh, shall the kingdom be established uh, forever. And so we know that that kingdom was established on the day of Pentecost, as we've seen in that very first lesson that we looked at in the, about the church. We also realize that names are important. I think that all of us believe that names are important. Your name is important. If you receive a paycheck, you most certainly want your name on that paycheck. You don't want some co-worker's name on that paycheck. You don't want some stranger's name on that paycheck. You want your name on that paycheck. Why? Because if you go to the bank with a check that's not got your name on it, they're probably not going to cash it. They probably won't even put it in your account. Even though I've told the teller many times, hey, if somebody wants to put it in my account, feel free to let them put it in there. problem is more people want to take stuff out of your accounts. Uh, if you own a car or a house, and you're making payments on that house or that car, you want your name on that contract or on that mortgage. Why? Because you would be very disappointed to get to that final payment and find out that you've been making a payment for all that time for someone else to own your car or your house. We would not like it if our name was spelled wrong on something. That's how important our name is. I remember one time I'd ordered a Bible, and somebody had ordered a Bible for me actually, and they put my name on the front and they spelled it wrong. Well, what do you do for that? I scraped it off. That's what I did because it's important that our name be spelled correctly. And so names are important. Your name, my name, everyone's name is important. Why? Because it identifies who we are. We understand that there is something in a name. But in the religious world, there are, there's the idea that there is nothing in a name. In fact, that's a popular doctrine that people have, that they want to say, the name means nothing. 
It's not important. All that matters is what's inside here. All that matters is what you believe or what you think. But the scripture, the question is, does the scriptures teach us that there's nothing in the name? I believe the name of the church and all of those things, as we'll look this morning, are important. In Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. And in the day that God created man in the likeness of God, he made him, made or male and female, created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. If there's nothing in a name, then why did God name Adam, or the first person, Adam? Because Adam meant something. When we talk about Adam, we know that we can go back and he's found in the very first part of Genesis. And we can look at other names and we relate to those names and we can see that God on occasion changed people's names. He changed Abraham or Abram to Abraham. He changed Jacob to Israel. And so names have meanings. And if there's nothing in a name then isn't that really reflecting on God's wisdom? Because when we talk about someone's name in the Old Testament, we know when we say Joseph, we know exactly who we're talking about. If we say Noah, we know exactly who we're talking about. It's important that we have the names associated with that individual. And many times those names associate us with a group of people. We may have a unique first name, but last name of White. Well, you know, there's a lot of names White here. We're not all related. But some of us are, and there's that ties us together. Well, names are important. And Paul tells us that it's important. Paul makes a very important point in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, where he condemns the use of human names and divisive names. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he uses a name right there. The Lord Jesus Christ. We know by whose authority he's talking. We know who's telling him what needs to be said. He says, I beseech you now, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul is saying that we need to all be speaking the same thing. And out there in the religious world, is everyone speaking the same thing? Is everyone saying, this is what you need to do in order to be saved, and all of us come to the same conclusion? Is everyone saying, this is how the Bible says that we worship? Is everybody coming to the same conclusion? This is how we should be organized. Is everyone coming to the same conclusion? The answer is no. But Paul here says we all need to be speaking the same thing. And that there should be no divisions among us. He's not talking about just at Corinth. He's talking about everywhere. There should be no division. And then he goes on. And he tells us in verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. We can mend Paul here because he's telling us who told him this information, where it came from, that there's contentions in the congregation there at Corinth. You know, many times we'll hear a rumor, but we don't want to tell somebody where it came from. Paul wasn't shy when it came to this discussion. 
He tells them where He heard about it. And then in verse 12, listen to what He says. And now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. When we read that list of names there, every one of us that has knowledge of Scripture knows who those individuals are. We know who Paul is. We know who Apollos is. We know who Cephas is. Cephas is Peter. And we know who Christ is. And all of those individuals are people we recognize who are instrumental in establishing churches or preaching the Gospel. They're important people. And guess what? You're an important person if you're sharing the Gospel with someone that's lost. And so Paul lists these individuals and says this is what people are saying. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Christ. But then he says this in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Think about how important those questions are. How it brought to focus what's important. The important thing is who was crucified for us? Was Paul crucified for him? No. Was Paul, uh, were they baptized in the name of Paul? No. Is Christ divided? No. The answer is very simple. When you think about what Paul is trying to show and, and, and encourage these people to think and say the same thing, that there be no division, no, no separation. I'm going to do this and you do what you want to do. And then you forgot division. We all should be one. Our focus should be on Christ. It was Christ who was crucified for us. It is the body of Christ that we're baptized into. It's the body of Christ that He's the head of. And we are baptized by the authority of Jesus Christ Himself. When He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Paul goes on, He's talking about how important a name is. But he goes on in verse 14 and he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. And when people read that, first of all, they start to say, well, listen, he's saying baptism isn't important. I don't think that that's what he's saying at all. Because he's saying, verse 15, lest any should say that I have baptized in my own name. He's saying there's division here. I don't want to be a part of it. Christ isn't divided. That's who we need to be focused on. But yet people want to look at that verse and say, well, look, he's he's thankful that he didn't baptize. That's not the point that he's trying to make. The point he's trying to make is that they need to be united. They need to be together. They need to be of that one accord that we read about so often in the New Testament when it comes to the church. You see, parents put a lot of thought into the names that they choose for their children. And that's why you won't find you know, children that are named Fido or Spot or things like that. You wouldn't name your child Judas or Satan. There might be some out there that would give some of those names. 
But for the most part, if you know what those words mean, you're not going to name someone Jezebel. Why? Because names mean something. Who in this room would want to be called a traitor? Who in this room would like to be called a liar? I mean, if you're an honest person, you're always telling the truth. You don't like it when someone calls you a liar. Why? Because that name, that word means something. That you're not being truthful. You're not telling the truth. You're deceitful. What about a thief? Would you want to be walking out of the store and have someone accuse you of stealing something when you know you have not stolen anything and they call you a thief? We would be offended by that. Names mean something. And so when we talk about the church that Jesus built, what it's called is important because of who it belongs to. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, I want to be a part of your church. Well, it's not my church. I understand what they're saying, but it's not my church. It belongs to Christ. It belongs to Him. He bought it. He paid the price. It was His blood that was shed so that as members we are purchased with that blood and we can be a part of that body. That's a privilege. And who am I or who are you or anyone else to change what the Lord has designated that it be called or how it's organized or how we live our lives as Christians? It may come as a surprise to some, but the church has no special name. But it's spoken of in several different designations that we can see in Scripture. First of all, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build My church. We see that it's Christ's church. It belongs to Him. He said He would build His church. Notice in that passage of Scripture, we know that that's future tense. And so we know that the church was established at a future date. We know from Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, it says that some standing here shall not taste of death until they see the kingdom come with power. That kingdom came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. We see Peter and the other apostles stand up and they begin to preach that gospel message that Jesus told them to go into all the world and preach. And that's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you see that in that sermon. And when they heard that message, they were pricked in their heart and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. There by the authority of Christ again. For the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible then tells us that such as were saved were added to the church. The Lord's church. The Lord added them to the church daily such as should be saved. And so the church was established. Whose church was it? Jesus said, My church. I will build My church. In Acts chapter 8, and verse 1, we see the church referred to as just the church. It says there, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means a group of called out people. 
What are we called out from? What is the church called out from? What are the members called out from? The world. We're called out from that sinful condition that we were in and we're called into obedience to the Gospel and then we, we, when we obey that Gospel, we're added to the Lord's church. We're called by the Gospel as it tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, whereunto He calls you by our Gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, on the day of Pentecost when they heard that message, they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted by the message. Not the messengers, but the message. When they heard that they had crucified Christ, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were convicted. And those that obeyed the Gospel became a part of the church. It's just a simple phrase. But it tells us so much. You see, the Lord has but one group, and it's called the church. When we talk about the church, we know exactly what was talked about. What group it's talking about there in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. It was those that were assembled in Jerusalem, those that were part of the church in Jerusalem. In Acts, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, we find there the church is called the church of God. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that are in, that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Christ, or name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. What do we see in that passage of Scripture? What do we see with that name or that title that is used there? We see there that it belongs to God. It shows ownership. And God owns the church. It's part of Him. It's part of the body of Christ. And it's a privilege to be a part of that body. We can find where in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, where it tells us that the churches of Christ salute you. So it's referred to as the churches of Christ. This also specifies who it belongs to. It's His. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that reality that it's His. It's not mine. It's His. It's not yours. It's His. And we're a part of it. And we're privileged to be a part of it. You see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that is referred to as the body of Christ. It says there, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 22 through 23, it says, And I put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Again, we see that that body belongs to Christ. That body is the church. The Bible tells us that we're bought with a price. And that's the blood that Jesus shed on that cross for you and me. Again, we see all of these terms, most of these terms, show that it's owned by Christ. It belongs to somebody else, not us. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 15, it's referred to as the church of the living God. It says there in that verse, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and grounds of the truth. Again, what's it show? Ownership. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. 
And when people would respect that, I think that would change the attitude that we have. Well, we can do what we want and the Lord will just be so thrilled with it. It's His. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, it says in that verse, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The church of the firstborn. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn of every creature. That's referring to Christ. Again, I think that this is showing ownership. And think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus, except the man be born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We can't, we can't have that. If I want to be in that kingdom, I have to be born again. How am I born again? Well, Jesus answered that. I'm born of the water and of the Spirit. And we see on the day of Pentecost, what did they do? They were baptized. Paul, when Ananias came to him, was praying. But Ananias said, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin. I heard someone on the radio not too long ago saying that baptism is just a spiritual thing. There's nothing that you do. Well, when you look at it in the New Testament, there's a physical act that takes place for that baptism to, to mean something. And we see on the day of Pentecost that they were baptized. We see the, the Ethiopian eunuch, they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So water has nothing to do with it. It's a simple showing of our faith and trust in what God has said. And therefore, when we go down into that water, we come up out of that water a new creature representing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We see the death of that old man of sin. We go down in that water. We can come up a new creature cleansed by the blood of Christ by faith. Now people say, well, that's works. That's something that you're doing. And we're not saved by works. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by the works that God tells us that we must have in our lives. It was Jesus that said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And then in the Great Commission as recorded in Matthew, we see that we're to teach, we're to baptize, and then we're to teach some more. It's something that continues on. But baptism means something. And we're baptized into Christ, into His body. And so that's important to realize. And what's really important in that passage of Scripture is that when we are baptized, our what is written in heaven? Our description? No. Our name is written in heaven. You want your name written in heaven? I want my name written in heaven. I want my name written in that book. And that's what the Hebrew writer is telling us. And that's what Jesus told His disciples. Don't rejoice because you could do some miracle. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. That's important. Now we know also that the Bible teaches us that our name can be blotted out. We don't want that to happen. And when we start talking about what the Bible tells us that we need to do, people say, well, you're a legalist. You're pharisaical. Oh, you, you, you don't understand. You can call me whatever you want. 
But Jesus said, if you love me, keep me, keep my commandments. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? He said, well, that's, all this stuff's not important. You know, sometimes we hear that term that's not a salvation issue. Well, I'll agree. Some things may not be a salvation issue, but we need to be careful when we use those words. Because sometimes those things may be a salvation issue. The church belongs to Christ. It belongs to God. We can be a part of it. What gives me the authority or you the authority to call it something else? We are, if we're a faithful Christian, we are in a saved condition and our name is written in the book of life. What a blessing that is to know that your name means something to God. Members of the church of Christ speak of the church in scriptural terms. By that I mean we call things by Bible names. We do things the Bible way or we strive to do things the Bible way. Can that be said of other religious groups? On your drive home today, notice some of the churches that you'll pass. And look at the sign that's over the door or out on, the, on their sign that they have posted out front. And look at some of the names that you'll see on some of those religious groups. And some of those names you won't even find in the Bible. Even some of the things that they say they practice, you won't find in the Bible. So just look. Because you'll see names that are not found in God's Word. And the question that I want to ask is, are those names really bringing glory to God? Are they really bringing glory to Christ? Now, I'll say this. Just because you have the right name over the door or out in front of the building doesn't mean that you're doing the right things. That's a whole other story, another, another sermon in and of itself. Because just because you're the, you say who you are doesn't mean that that's who you are. I mentioned that in the very first lesson. A guy that moved up the road from me whose name was Leonard White cashed a check that I was supposed to get he banked at the same bank that I banked at. He went to the same doctor that I went to. They tried to get me to pay his AT&T phone bill that he was delinquent on. But it wasn't me. Names are important. Names are important. So what are members of the Lord's church called in the New Testament? When we look at the New Testament we can find where members wore distinctive and significant names. Disciples. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. That word disciple means a learner or a follower. That word disciple is a noun and sometimes it needs further qualification. 
so that we can determine who they are following. In John, or John chapter 9 and verse 28, we find that some were the disciples of Moses. We can find where in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14 that there was disciples of John, John the Baptist. And we can find in Mark chapter 2 and verse 18 that there was disciples of the Pharisees. So that shows who they were following. Were followers or disciples of Christ. You know, a lot of times when we talk about disciples, we think of the twelve. But that word encompasses all of those who were members of the body of Christ. Those who followed Him to learn how to be added to the church, what they needed to do in order to be saved, and how to live to continue to be saved. Those were followers of Christ. That's who we're disciples of. We can also see in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, to all that be in Rome beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There we see the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for God. We know how much God loved us. The Bible said God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loved us. The question is, how much do we love Him? Do we love Him enough that we want to be a disciple of His? That we want to be a follower, a learner of His? And we want to learn as much as we can so that we can be as much like Christ as possible? In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verse 6, we find after that, He was seen above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. There in that passage of Scripture, and we can find that, uh, that term used in other passages of the Scripture, but there we know who the brethren are, who they're talking about. And there we see a relationship that each one of us should have. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a term that is used, brothers, uh, in many different groups. You know, you, 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 you hear the unions talk about their brethren, their brothers and sisters are members of the union. Well, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that term shows our relationship to each other and it implies that we're a family. The family of God. Again, isn't that a privilege to know that you can be a member of the family of God? You know, we welcome new babes and uh, in, uh, babies into our families when they come into the world. We're excited. We're happy. Somebody gets married and their spouse comes in. We're happy and we, we accept them and we welcome them into the family. There's no family like the family of God. And you and I can be a part of that. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of the of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. In Romans chapter one, verse seven, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. When we're called out of this world and we obey the gospel, 
it's implied and it is commanded that there be changes in our lives. Colossians chapter 3 talks about some of the things that we need to get rid of in our lives and what we need to put into our lives. How many of us are doing that? You see, we look at the church at Corinth and we say, how, Paul, how could you call them saints? They had so many problems because they were the saints of God. But they'd lost their focus. And we're saints, but sometimes we lose our focus. We forget what's really important. You see, they were called this because they were saved from their past sins. And they were to live a holy life. And they had been sanctified. They had been set apart by the Gospel of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through it says, and he's talking to the church there at Corinth, "...Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God?" Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Stop right there. We need to understand that if we're participating in those kind of activities, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We can't continue living that life once we obey the Gospel. Because we're saying there's something different about us. There's something different about how we live our lives. We see the things that are important in this life. But then listen to what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. They had been washed. They had been cleansed. Why? How? Well, through the blood of Jesus Christ. When they went down in that water and they came up out of that water, their sins were washed away. They had been cleansed. And Paul is saying, don't go back and do those things because such were some of you. But they had been sanctified. They had been justified. They had been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't continue in those things. You've got to stop. Because those things will cause us to be lost when we involve ourselves in those things. Don't do those things. We're also called the sons of God in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For as many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are called this in view of their relationship to God. It shows us that we're in that intimate relationship, that we're part of His family. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, we call the children of God. And in this, the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither is neither he that loveth not his brother. There we see in that passage of Scripture that we can be the children of God or we can be the children of the devil. We have two choices. You see, in the Bible, there's always two two choices. You can do good or you can do evil. You can choose that straight and narrow path or you can choose that broad broad way that leads to destruction. The choices are yours. And you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You know, there's a concept in this world where people say everyone is a child of God, not in the context of the Scripture. Scripture shows us that I need to be in that right relationship with God, cleansed by the blood of Christ, in order to be a child of God or a son of God. 
And then in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, we find that we are heirs of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 says, And if the children... And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so, that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And that term, it shows that we are to inherit from God. And one of the things that we inherit is eternal life. If we can have that home in heaven that's been prepared for us, that Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. We can have that place prepared, but we have to prepare to get there. Oh, it'd be great to be able to stand up here and just say, hey, we're all saved. You do what you want. We're going to get there anyways. That'd be great to be able to say that. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible tells me that I'm going to be judged by the words of Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 48, the words that I've spoken, the same shall judge you in the last days. I'm going to be judged by His words, not what I think or what I feel or what I'd like. And so when I stand up here and speak, as I said in class, I better be speaking as the oracles of God and saying what the Lord once said as opposed to, well, this is what I think. This is what I believe. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That means that you and I, if we're members of the body of Christ, if we're Christians like the New Testament talks about, we're priests. As priests, we can offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And we realize that Jesus Himself is our High Priest. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 5, and that He is our High Priest in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. All of those terms are important terms in describing the Christian. And that word Christian is the next word that I want us to look at. And that's found in Acts chapter 11, and verse 26. It says that when they had found him, they brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now people will say, well, that term is, is kind of a, a, a negative kind of term that people just plugged onto the Christian because they were basically making fun of them or saying something derogatory. But I think that the... I think that we can see that it is a proper noun and needs no qualifying word and the name makes it clear all by itself. Because that word Christian, what does it mean? Christ-like. In Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 2, it says, "...and a Gentile shall see their righteous, or thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name." They were not given this new name until after the first Gentile had become a Christian. He had to be converted and had seen the righteousness of God. That took place in Acts chapter 10 when we read about Cornelius and his household and how they heard the Gospel and they were baptized. We also know that the Holy Spirit descended upon them on that occasion just like it had on the apostles there in Acts chapter 2. 
That's the only occasion that we see where that took place. But in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That was a new name. And it was given after the Gentiles had seen the righteousness of God. Something that had been prophesied by Isaiah. And after Paul preached to King Agrippa, what did Agrippa say? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Agrippa knew what that word meant. There's many people that know what the word means. But there's many people that aren't living by that name. When the Bible says Christian, it means Christ-like. And that means that we're supposed to be living in a way that reflects Christ, draws people to Him. Are you living that way? Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name that can save us. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul was trying to point the church at Corinth to, or back to. The focus on Christ. Don't follow Paul. Don't follow Apollos. Don't follow Cephas. Follow Christ. That's a warning that Paul is, or that Peter's giving. And to think that we can be saved by some other name or some other means is not right. Because we can only be saved because of what Jesus, Jesus Christ did on that cross. You can be a part of that church that Jesus said that He would build. It's built and you can be a part of it. The Bible tells us what we need to do. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. So we need to believe that He is who He claims to be. We confess His name before men. We repent of our sins. Based upon what Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 tells us about confession and about repentance is what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. And then we must be buried with Him in baptism as we see in Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16. How do we know all that's true? How do we know that that's faith? Because Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We have faith in that plan, that grace that God has extended to us because it comes from His Word. I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, that's what they did back then. This is what you need to do right now. I'm going to say this is what they did back then and that's what you need to do right now to be a child of God. We can't change it. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church. And He has every right to tell us what we need to do to be a part of that church. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can be baptized into Christ. If you need to repent of sin and need to, our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.